Welcome to Veterans State of Mind. I'm Geraint Jones. We've got a special little edition um, of the podcast today. Um, we've got my friend Tony on. Tony, you'll know from the Remembrance episode, uh, he's a veteran of um, the Green Jackets, or should I say the Royal Green Jackets, don't want to get in trouble. Um, also the SAS, um, Tony served in Northern Ireland, the Gulf War and uh, the Falklands. Uh, and it's the Falklands that we've we've got Tony on to talk about today. Uh, Tony uh, and I, we work, worked on a book, which is Tony's story. It's called Born for War. Um, it's just recently come out. And so I just wanted to kind of get Tony on and give uh, you guys a little taster about um, what's in the book. So Tony, welcome back to the podcast, mate. Thank you very much. This isn't the first uh, book you ever put out there, but it's the first book you've put out, or sorry, your family's put out, I should say. Um, but this is the, the your book about the your time in the Falklands, um, a little bit in there about Northern Ireland as well. Obviously, the book's called Born for War, um, which is a great title, I can't say. Um, and so where did, when, when was it that you realised that you were destined to be a soldier? Oh, very early, mate. Um, as a cadet, I was 13 years old, joined the RCTTA, well, the cadets that were affiliated to um, what was then the airborne R- RCT no longer exists, of course. Um, my, all my uncles were all Marines. My father was in the Air Force. My grandfather was a Marine in World War One, deafened by the guns on board ships on which he served. And my uncle Ray, in particular, was uh, the guy behind me going going into the military. You know, he would beast me every time I would go down to the forest, being an all uh, ex gypsy background. You know. Um, he was all over me. So from the age of 13, that was it. I knew I was signing up. And once I was in the regiment, uh, in the jackets, I knew I was heading to Hereford in a very short period of time. Was there ever anything in your mind other than infantry and then SAS? No, absolutely not. What What is it you think was the, the draw for you towards that kind of, uh, that kind of line of work? I like the camaraderie. You know, I was particularly uh, into the Northern Ireland situation from 69 onwards to 96, I think, or 92, whatever it was. So I was watching the news every night, wishing I was there banging heads. You know, that was it. And mainly the outside life and the camaraderie, weapons, and, you know, running a mock over the hills of all the shot on Brecon. <laughs> um, we won't go into it now because I don't want to give everything away in the book, but. I know because we do have some lads listening. They're always say, saying to me, "Can we get more Northern Ireland stories on here?" There's a really interesting story in the book about um, Bernadette Devlin, who's a bit of a friend of yours, isn't she? Oh, I love her. <laughs> we, we, we talk regularly. <laughs> so anyone, anyone that's interested in that side of things, um, check that out. Um, so Tony, let's talk about the, the 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 Falklands then. So you were a member of D Squadron um, at that time, right? Yeah, D-Squadron Air Troop. I was a trooper when I went down, promoted to the dizzy rank of Lance Corporal on the way down. How how did you feel when it was announced that the Falklands War was kicking off? Yeah, I mean, like the rest of the nation, um, I I didn't have any idea where the Falklands were and why was Argentina invading Scotland, basically, <laughs> um, until it became clear after the BBC reported on, you know, April 1st invasion. And I was all for it. You know, it was a it was a worthy cause. It was a righteous cause. You know, the Falkland Islanders were British. They'd been invaded by uh, the Spaniards, not for the first time. And uh, I felt it was our duty to get down there and help 
win it back. So w- when you went down there, you had um, you had a bit of a different kind of experience than like a lot of the troops going down there because you got flown down to Ascension first, didn't you? And then you also, you kind of bounced around the, the fleet a lot more than most people would have. We uh, basically hitchhiked from Ascension all the way down south to South Georgia um, without any real orders. I mean, Colonel Mike Rose basically said to Cedric Dells, the squadron commander, get going and you'll get your orders later, which ended up as a parakeet for the uh, the retaking of South Georgia, by which time we crossed deck from an RFA for Austin to HMS Antrim, and then my troop across to um, HMS Endurance, the little Arctic survey ship, which sadly is no long, longer. Um, we replaced mountain troop on that. They were called back to Antrim in, in order to do the infiltration onto Fortuna Galassia, Shackleton's old route, when he was trying to rescue his um, stuck ship, which, by the way, I don't know if you know it, has been found in the Antarctic now. Yeah, is that the Endurance? Yes, it was the Endurance, yeah. Yeah, so I saw that pop up pop up recently, which kind of blows my mind. I can't even feel, find my wallet yeah, most of the time. Immac- immaculate condition as well. Amazing. Yeah, pretty pretty mental, mate. So, um, I wanted there's one raid input or one mission in particular that I want to talk about tonight because obviously you're involved in quite a lot of different parts of of the um of the conflict. Um, but something that a lot of people have probably heard about, maybe our American listeners not so much, is the is the Pebble Island raid. Um, can you talk us through about how? Like what? What was the um? What was the reasoning behind the raid and um and how and how it came about? Again, Rose and Dells were very keen to get us blooded. Um, we had uh, to that date, you know, obviously successfully taken South Georgia without a shot being fired. So that was a, a kudos for Maggie at the time. She needed that. Um, so they concocted a story, and it was a, a concoction that there was a radar on Pebble Island, which monitored the entrance to San Carlos, which was key for the landings, of course. It was completely fictitious. Um, Aerial photography gave us the 11 aircraft, which was a target in itself, but primarily Sandy Woodward, Admiral Woodward, the task force commander, was um, sold on the idea of taking out the radar so his ships could operate safely into San Carlos waters. Really, this was the full kind of first time that the the squadron was going in as a warner to do an offensive operation. Yeah, it was our first direct action mission, if you like. And what was that like for you then waiting to go out for your first opportunity to kind of get just toe-to-toe, so to speak? Yeah, it was great. I was a bit under the weather, actually. I had flu, of all things, can you imagine? So I, being a medic, I had to bed myself down for 24 hours in the air-conditioned uh, <laughs> medical ward room on board because I was not going to miss the show, and that did the trick. So... Yeah, we couldn't wait to get ashore. Boat Troop did a fantastic job of infiltrating and identifying the target um, and, you know, where we were all going to assault from and where the mortar fire position, where HQ would be based, etc. Fantastic. So we just couldn't wait. So what was uh, Air Troop's role during the attack? Originally, we were supposed to make contact with the the Islanders. Once the, the mighty paratroop troop mobility troop ha ha um got uh, lost or disorientated um they had to move the reserve troop which was mountain troop under ian hamilton into into the assault that meant we then became just um uh support fire 
troop, which was great because in hindsight, if we had approached the uh, the village, the initial start point was the warshed. We later found out there was 200 Marines inside that warshed holding human shields. So that would have really ruined my night. So so just to, to get that clear for people then, so there was 200 Argentinians using Islanders as human shields in the area that you guys were supposed to go and make contact with the Islanders. Yeah, that's right. Right. So... So the the raid itself then how did that um how did that go down? Mountain Troop did a great job. Of course, like I said, they they weren't geared up for it. They were reserved, so they uh, they had very limited standard charges, one pound PE standard charges. So they effectively shot, ripped, you know, blew up whatever they could, and and utterly destroyed the eleven aircraft and the fuel dump. And while while that was going on, then what were you uh, up to in Air Troop? We were just in the support fire role. We had no targets. We didn't engage. The only action there was was between the troop sergeant and a corporal when they, they got into it because he, Tom Bufton, the troop sergeant, bless him, kept on moving us. Once once the uh, illumination was up, he, he kept moving us so like over a 50-metre distance between a wall and the fucking low ground, and uh, there was no sense to it. So one of the corporals, Carl Rhodes, X-9 squadron lad, like jumped on him so we had to pull him apart so that was the only action we got and nobody got any medals for it <laughs> so i mean that's the kind of side of you know soldiering and war that people don't really read about much of the time is, is that something that you wanted to you wanted to get those stories out there yeah it's a funny it was a funny yeah. moment and, and is, is that are those the kind of moments that kind of stick with you when you when you think back and look at it at times oh definitely yeah like uh when we when we got back onto Hermes, it was like a scene out of Top Gun when old Tom Cruise had uh, destroyed the mix, and uh, one of the troops had a negligent discharge, went through the fucking deck, and then down to uh, the medical room, which just missed sadly because I didn't like the bloke. One of the guys who were um, concussed from a, a landmine that was remotely, de- uh, you know, remotely detonated when they exfiltrated nobody was hurt what what was it like for you you know having put this raid in um as you're um as you're, you're kind of picked up by the sea kings and you're leaving pebble island what was what was that feeling like ah fantastic i could see all the planes burning vigorously from the from the window in the uh sea king mate they did a great job 864 squadron i can't can't praise them enough as a squadron. They were fantastic. Um, obviously, in the book as well, um, you know, it's something that's in there. I know you were very keen on doing it was to make sure that, you know, credit was given to the pilots, the crews, you know, the Navy, the the, the infantry units in there. Was that important for you to, for, for you to make sure that, you know, this wasn't just about your squadron, it was about all these other units that took part? Yeah, it was a total um, combined effort, wasn't it? Yeah, pilots in particular, the Chris Parry, who was uh, the pilot on board HMS Antrim, rescuing the guys off Fortuna Glacier after the uh, infamous whiteout when two aircraft crashed trying to rescue them. And he went in and rescued everybody, including the crews. And they got the DFC for that. Um, no mean feat, as you can imagine, Griff, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, str- I struggle to drive a car, let alone fucking park a helicopter on the side of a glacier. <laughs> how how did, like, you, 
when you when you left and during the campaign, was there any moment where you thought the result was going to be in doubt about who would be, you know, who who, who would be capturing on recapturing the islands? No, not at all. I mean, there was a documentary. I don't know if you saw it with Colonel Mike Rose, basically going over it, and I, it was down to ten minutes apparently after we lost uh, the Atlantic conveyor with, with everything on board that we literally. We're down to ten minutes worth of ammunition, etc. When they surrendered, so that was pretty, pretty significant. I thought. I out. Still, you being that, so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know you're a fan of running ahead, and again, people have to read about this. But I know you're <laughs> ahead, a fan of running ahead of everybody into positions, so you'd be all right on that one. Um, when the war ended, like, how, how did that feel for you then to have come through? To come to come through, uh, you know, a campaign like that, and and to to be standing at the end of it. Yeah, I was very angry, mate. I thought, what was the point of coming all this way down, losing twenty two good comrades, including a good friend in a, in a bone helicopter crash caused by either pilot fatigue or an aircraft hitting the intake, and then just giving up with minimal resistance. Fifteen thousand of them, you know, they could have played a little bit harder, <laughs> you know, but. So I was pretty angry for some time after that, mainly because of the loss of life. Is it important to you with this book as well? Was it one of the reasons to it to you know to kind of keep the memory, you know, keep keep younger generations understanding about those those blokes? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, younger generations. Obviously, we've gone through we've gone through Iraq and Afghanistan now, so we've got well blooded, experienced troops. But I believe you know conflict keeps it alive. You know, you learn by your mistakes. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And I mean, it was a pl- real pleasure for me to work on a book because I do think, you know, even, I mean, I'm not a spring chicken now, but, you know, it's because we've had these conflicts happening in our own time, you don't necessarily, le- you, le- you learn about the old ones like the First World War, Second World War, but the ones that are a bit closer seem to like fall through, um, fall through the cracks a bit. And so, I, I you know, I really think this is a, a, an important year. We're going to be doing more on the podcast to, to get, this out on the social media and, and for people to understand more about this because uh, I, I really do think we kind of just take it for granted that the Falklands were taken back. But when we when we did this book together, mate, and I was looking at it and I was just like, you know, like you t- you're, t- you're telling me about all this logistics that's going on and, and you're telling me about all these different moving parts and how, yeah. like, how, like I, I, was ama- I was amazed. You were telling me like, oh, and then this ship sank and then that ship sank. And I'm like, fucking hell, what? How many ships did we fucking lose down there? Um, yeah. And it was, you know, it was a, a real, like, it was a real slog in literally, you know, as in like uh, the, 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 the conditions that you guys were in and stuff. I mean, like what, what kind of conditions are we, we even talking about here? You know, like, could you just tell people what it was like living out there? Yes, it was, um, it was rough. There was no snow on the ground, thankfully, not where, where we were. Um, the, the mountains weren't high enough. Obviously there was on South Georgia, but not not on the Falklands Islands, east and west. Uh, it was the wind, mate, you know, constant wind. You couldn't get out of it no matter what you tried to do. You'd get in a, a gully or behind rocks on Mount Kent. The wind was constant. You always had to have your woolly hat on. could not allowed to wear your hood up, of course, being, being a good SAS trooper in case the enemy crept up on you, which they tried to. Um, on occasion, but um, yeah, just the wind, and then getting bloody trench foot at the end of it all, thanks to a, a kind-hearted lady who let me 
sit in a front room the night I took two guys in after the final assault on an oil refinery, which was a totally ridiculous waste of time. Luckily, we didn't lose anybody. And then I got back on board HMS, uh, sorry, RFA uh, Lancelot to find my bloody trench foot. And there's me like a prat hobbling around on my knees <laughs> for about a week after. Yeah. So that, that wasn't your, probably not your favourite memory, but is there like a favourite memory that sticks out to you about your time down there? Pebble Island, of course. Yeah, Pebble Island, mate. That was the, that was the, it was that classic David Sterling raid from North Africa, wasn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, it was just that, that kind of textbook, special forces raid, go in, smash the fucking enemy, leave, like, leave, leave a bunch of burning wreckage behind and, and go back home for your Top Gun moment. That's it. Uh, yeah. Well, Tony, thanks for coming on, mate. It's good to catch up with you, and we'll catch up again soon. And um, anyone out there that reads the book, anyone wants to get in touch with Tony, anyone that's got um, messages to pass on after you read the book, then feel free to get in touch with me, and I'll pass them on. But it's good to catch up with you, mate, and I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, all the best, mate. Um, so, guys, yeah, thanks so much for listening today. Um, like I said, it was an absolute honour to to work on a book with Tony. Um. I, I gotta be honest. Like, I'm, I, I consider myself pretty good on the old military history, but there was a, I, there was a real blind spot in my, in my knowledge with the, the Falcons campaign. Um, you know, Tony was just saying how he was confident there was going to be one, but when you actually look at what, what happened down there, I mean, it really was fucking close. Um, the amount of ships that were lost, the amount of air, um, the helicopters that were lost, men that were lost, and um, we're talking. Guys fighting in the rocks, but with the fucking bayonet, grenade in positions, bayonet in fucking enemy. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's one of those, a real pivotal moment in Britain in terms of both, um, like the, when you look at it in the context of what was going on in the world at the time with the Cold War, the end of the British empire, you know, there's, there's really like a lot to unpack in it. So, um, as I said, it was a real honor to work on Tony with it. It was a, an absolute legend and, um, I hope you guys enjoy it. If you get a chance to read it, please do let me know and, uh, yeah, catch you next time. Love you. Bye.